hot chit-chatting in church. Sorry about that. Uh, scripture reading this morning is from Exodus 3, 1 to 6. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. And from Judges 2, 10, and 11, after that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. Helen, I will now take my place upon the air-conditioned perch, apparently. We'll see how true that is. If I disappear from your sight this morning, it may be because I have fainted, so someone can come up and revive me. It's summer, and we are going to dive into a new series for the summer months. Um, last summer, when our teaching team was getting together, we were thinking about what we wanted to do. And the summer is kind of a tricky season because, well, if you take a look around you, people tend to disappear from time to time. Um, of course, this weekend is a long weekend, so a little more than usual away. Um, but we wanted to try to do something where, you know, if, if people aren't here kind of every week, you're not totally losing track of what's happening. Uh, and so my mind went back to a series that we did uh, many years ago. So those of you who've been around, part of our Elevation community for, say, 10 or 12 years, will, will, this will be familiar to you. And it's a series that we call The God of Our Fathers. And we're going to kind of revive it and put a new twist on it this summer. Uh, so it comes from this line in Acts 24, verse 14, where Paul says, I worship the God of our fathers as a follower of the way. It's an interesting set of circumstances he finds himself in. I mean, so Paul, one of the early leaders of the Christian faith, he's kind of going around sharing this message about Jesus, and, and the Jewish leaders aren't too happy with this. So they bring him, and they bring him before, um, this is a Roman governor uh, named Felix, and there he is kind of trying to defend himself, and this is how he describes his faith. He says, I worship the God of our fathers. Like, I am, I am part of this long line, this long tradition of followers of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But I'm doing it as, as a follower of the way. And that is what Christianity was called in its early years. It was called the way. It was considered this little offshoot group of Judaism. And so the short phrase from Paul's trial before the Roman governor, Felix, packs some punch as he connects this new faith to the ancient faith of the Jews. And that's what we're going to be doing this summer, making connections between the faith that we practice today and those who have gone before us. We'll discover along the way certainly a lot of similarities, a lot of ways in which our faith is very similar to people who've practiced Christian faith 100 years ago, 500 years ago, 2,000 years ago. But we'll also, of course, notice there are many differences. People have practiced the faith differently over the course of this time as well. 
And it should go without saying that we won't limit this to spiritual fathers, but mothers too. This was a phrase that um, Paul used, and so it's a, a catchy title that I like, but we will, of course, look at some of the women of faith uh, who have inspired us along the way. As far as God is concerned, there is significant link between one generation and the next. If we go back to Exodus 20 and we think about the Ten Commandments, think about this one, honor your father and your mother so that you will live a long time in the land that the Lord your God is going to give you. There was this connection between the kind of life that a person was able to live, the kind of life that the nation of Israel would be able to live, and their willingness to submit and to, and to honor the, the people who had gone before them, right? Now, in pop culture, we have all kinds of different analogies, different examples of parents, a wide variety, from the superhuman Incredibles, of course, to the perfectly flawed Jack and Rebecca, to the broken and desperate Walter White. Parents comes in all different shapes and sizes, great role models and terrible role models. And one of the things that I was thinking about as I was thinking about contemporary models of parents out there is, is some of the, the shows that are out there on on television and on Netflix and whatnot, where you have um, extended family as part of the story. So I was thinking about Modern Family and how Ed O'Neill's character is part of that family. So the patriarch of the family, he's still there involved in his adult children's lives and the lives of his grandchildren. Or Lawrence, Lawrence Fishburne's character in Blackish, where he's there again as this kind of like sage and he come, pops in and out every once in a while uh, to have some commentary and influence in the lives again of his children and of their children. Some of these people role models. Others remind us of what we would rather avoid in life. And that's something that we ought to keep in mind as we launch into this series, because even the giants of the Christian faith have had their faults. We'll explore some of them. We'll try to unearth, honestly, some of the mistakes and some of the, the bad things that we see in the lives of some of the people that we really venerate today. But there's plenty that we can learn from them as we sit under the teaching of their lives. We speak about seasons, and obviously it's summer, and we're just beginning this right now. And, but there's also something that's known as the seasons of the church year. And a couple of these we've paid special attention to in our Elevation community. You think about Advent, the weeks leading up to the celebration of Christmas and Christ's birth and his arrival, anticipating his return one day. We, we celebrate Advent in, in November and December. Uh, in, you think about in this early spring, we observe Lent and those kind of 40 days leading up to the celebration of Easter, and then we celebrate the time between Easter and Pentecost, and, and we observe these seasons, and then we just kind of stop talking about it again until the end of November. Why is that? What is this season? Well, this season has the incredibly creative name, After Pentecost. It's basically six months of nothing. There's like nothing significant that happens in the church calendar in the next six months. But Robert Weber, who, uh, who wrote a great book called Ancient Future Faith, and I'll quote him a couple of times here this morning, he describes the purpose of After Pentecost as a time to embrace the teaching of the church and to go deeper into the truths of God's saving events in history. And so what a great time for us to do just that, to look back at men and women who have followed him faithfully, who have left us examples to follow, who have taught us along the way. So I'm going to give you just a bit of a taste this morning of some of the people that we'll explore. I think there are maybe nine of them altogether, so here's just four. Um, next week, Kristen Taylor is going to be here, and she's going to be sharing about John Wesley, who was an 18th century theologian who accidentally founded a denomination with more than 30 million members today. So we'll find out how that came about. Uh, the following week, I believe it is, I'm going to be talking about Polycarp, a name that you may not be familiar with, but he was a second century bishop, a protege of the Apostle John. So a follower of Jesus, this is the follower of John. And he was martyred for his faith 
in Christ at the age of 85. Um, towards the end of the summer, Rebecca Sadra Corks is going to be introducing us to Mary Jo Letty, a contemporary social activist who is widely recognized for her work with refugees at Romero House in Toronto. And so, someone contemporary living out their faith. Graham is going to share with us about St. Francis Xavier, a 16th century missionary who was the first Christian missionary to bring the good news of Jesus to the people of Japan. And so we'll explore what that was like at that point in history. These people and many others who will serve as examples for us of our faith. There's this great quote from Stanley Hauerwas and William Willimon. They write that the dead are not dead insofar as we are bound together in the communion of saints, living and dead, and therefore our conversation cannot be limited to those who now live. It's a profound thought that if we're going to explore this Christian faith, that we have to include people who have come before us in this conversation. So that's what we'll do. It's been said that the road to the future runs through the past. Now, the past is a funny thing. It's a part of who we are, and yet it's so easy to forget. I was listening to a podcast this week, uh, Malcolm Gladwell, uh, Revisionist History. Uh, it's fantastic. And so he was talking about, this is maybe from a couple of weeks ago, he was talking about memory, and he was specifically talking about something called flashbulb memories. And so these are those, <clears throat> those really significant events, either in your life as an individual, or in like a communal life of, like of a society or a country, where it just burns this memory in your brain. You can think about it, maybe it's the loss of a loved one, and you remember every detail of that day and when you heard the news. But he was talking about, the, the example he used was 9-11, which was this flashbulb event. And so he lived in New York City at the time, and he talks about kind of walking out into the street and watching these towers burn, and, and how it just, again, this memory, this experience just burns in his mind. But he said that what happened at the time was that people who were kind of studying like social psychology, they began to do an experiment. They kind of called each other up all across the country and they said, let's start an experiment today. Let's interview as many people as we can and ask them to describe exactly what happened and where they were, what was going on, what they heard when they found out about this event. Because they knew that this was going to be a flashbulb event like the day, you know, man landed on the moon, or the, the day the Challenger exploded, these other events that just burn in people's minds. So they interviewed all of these people, and then they came back to them a year later, and then they interviewed them again, and they said, okay, so just go back and tell us again, what was it like that day? And then a couple years later, they went back, and they said, okay, now go back and, in your memory and tell us, what was it like that day? And finally, 10 years after September 11th, they went back, and they said, okay, now tell us, what was it like that day? And what they found was the incredible inaccuracy of people's memories, that the things that they remembered even a year later were drastically different from what they described the day after. And people would say, no, that's not true. They would show them a handwritten account that they wrote in their own handwriting of what happened, and they said, well, I was, must have been wrong, because I know I was actually here. And it goes to show how difficult it can be for us to remember the past properly and accurately. Well, not everything needs to be remembered, of course. Some things are only meant to last for a certain period of time, and then they should be either buried in history or erased from historical records altogether. I heard a couple weeks ago on the radio that the Backstreet Boys are releasing a new song. Why? When, when a boy band becomes a man band, like, it's just time to call it quits. It just needs to be something that happened in the past. It doesn't need a voice in the present, okay? But of course, many things in the past continue to influence our daily lives. Think about wars that happened 70 years ago in our world. They, they forever shaped and changed the way that we, we gather as human culture. 
inventions, the light bulb, the telephone, the automobile, things that were invented like up to a century ago, but they radically shaped the way that we live and experience our daily lives. And how about our childhood? I mean, our own past, and maybe especially our own past, continues to speak to us and influence our lives in the present. Well, the same is true of, of these fathers. Their influence remains. In the year 200, a prolific Christian writer named Tertullian wrote, We are but of yesterday, and already we have filled your world. Cities, islands, fortresses, towns, marketplaces, the camp itself, tribes, companies, the palace, the senate, the forum. Like, the list goes on and on. Like, we are in your world. Like, you may think that we've kind of passed on and we're passe, we, we don't have a voice anymore, but we do because everything that we've done makes up the world that you live in. And so in a figurative way, those who have gone before us continue to speak. The book of Hebrews says of Abel, the second son born to Adam and Eve, by faith he still speaks even though he is dead. The example continues to speak. The story continues to impact our lives, and our faith. Psalm 145, 4 says, One generation will commend your works to another. They will tell of your mighty acts. And things go very wrong when this doesn't happen. When one generation does not pass on faith to the next. Or when one generation refuses to receive the faith of the previous generation. Whether people refuse to tell the story or people refuse to listen. And the second reading that we had this morning came from Judges chapter 2. And this is a passage that, for me, it was very impactful almost 20 years ago now when we were getting ready to launch our student church at the University of Waterloo because I was motivated by this, this fear, this concern that, that the message of Jesus was being lost in my own generation. Like, who is going to pass on this news? And so the passage from Judges says this, after that whole generation had been gathered to their fathers, which was a way of saying they had all passed away, they had all died. After that whole generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Like, how does it happen that an entire generation grows up and no one bothered to tell them about God? No one bothered to tell the story of faith with them. No one bothered to walk that journey. So they didn't know the Lord, and they didn't know what he had done. It was like stuff from the past. It had no influence on their lives, and so they, they turned and did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Archibald MacLeish wrote, There is only one thing more painful than learning from experience, and that is not learning from experience. Like, this only happens once in your life, and then you learn to wear sunscreen. I mean, learning from experience, it can save us a whole bunch of pain. I thought of this just this past week. We were driving out to Jude had a ball game in Guelph, and, and we, I haven't been to this diamond in a couple of years, so I wasn't exactly sure what road to turn on, so I threw it in the GPS. And as we were driving down the Hanlon, um, the GPS was saying, like, to turn left in, like, one and a half kilometers, but I could see the exit that I needed to take, like, about 500 meters away. And I remember the time, like, five years ago, when Melissa was driving Owen to his game in Guelph and followed the GPS instead of the exit that was there. They had redone this, con this whole intersection, and where the GPS told us to turn no longer existed. You would be, like, turning into oncoming traffic. And so she didn't do that, thankfully. 
Uh, but she ended up spending about a half an hour driving Owen and I think a couple of teammates all around Guelph trying to find her way back to where this diamond was. And so as we're driving down, I see, oh, turn in one and a half kilometers. I'm like, no, I've learned here. See, I don't have to make the same mistake. I don't have to repeat that. So I got off and got there on time. There are lots of lessons out there, but if, we, if we're not paying attention to them, we'll follow and we'll make the same mistakes that others have made before us. This is one of those reasons that we have to listen. As we seek to grow in the spiritual life, too, think about it. There's no need to reinvent the wheel. So many people have walked the path that we're walking, not exactly the same path, but they've sought the same things. How do I know God? How do I live well? How do I overcome these temptations that I have? How do I love my neighbor? What does this mean? Like all of these questions that run in our minds, they've been answered and lived out by people who come before us. And so this is what the Lord says, we read in Jeremiah 6. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. It's great advice, but we need to ask. We can receive valuable guidance from those who have gone this way before us, but we need to ask, what have you learned about God? What have you understood about this life? And how can we learn from those people? George Herbert wrote that one father is more than a hundred schoolmasters. So we need to find out who are these fathers in our lives? Who are these people, these men and women who can speak into our present, share their experiences, and help us avoid maybe some of the pitfalls that they've experienced themselves? So we need to ask, but there's this illness that we suffer from, believing that we are at a superior place than our ancestors, that we somehow have more to offer than our predecessors. And in some cases, this is true. I mean, when you think about it, we have access to so much more information than people of 50 years ago or 150 or 950 years ago did. I mean, there's so much more that we know. And so there is that element that we have to kind of put that in the equation and say, yeah, we do actually have access to a lot more information and experience. But sometimes we let it get to our heads and we think that, that people who've come before us, well, they have nothing at all to offer. I love this quote from Mark Twain. I'm sure that I've shared it before because I like it so much. He says, when I was a boy of 14, my father was so ignorant, I could hardly stand to have the old man around. But when I got to be 21, I was astonished at how much he had learned in seven years. And anyone over the age of 21 knows what he's talking about, right? It takes time to figure that one out. But a little maturity can change your perspective can realize that maybe actually, maybe actually my dad knew what he was talking about. Maybe actually these people had something to offer me. And so our first reading, we run into Moses, and he has this bizarre kind of encounter where the angel of the Lord appears in the, in the form of fire. And I found that actually when I was listening to that passage being read, I, I kept my body temperature was actually getting a little hotter. I was like, why are we talking about fire this morning? I should have found a passage about ice or water or something like that. So here's this story of, of Moses seeing this bush that is on fire and it's burning up, and he, he responds to this voice that calls his name. And then this is the conversation that happens in, in verses, uh, verses 3 to 5. So Moses says, Here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place you are standing is holy ground. And then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. This is how God introduces himself to Moses, not as his own personal God, but as the God of his father, and actually as the God of, that, that his ancestors before him have worshipped as well. The Lord says, this is my name forever, 
the name by which I am to be remembered from generation to generation. God wants to be known not as like our personal God, but He wants to be known as the God who has been faithful to all of the generations who have come before us. Now, I'm well into the stage of life where I'm known as my kid's dad. Some of you with young kids are just getting into this. You know, you introduce yourself to people and you're like, I'm so-and-so's mother, I'm so-and-so's father. You don't even say your name anymore because you know that no one cares. They just need to know what child you're connected with here, right? And it continues. Last week, Melissa and I and Sophie joined Owen on a tour of McMaster's campus. He's going off to university. And there we are walking around and Melissa and I are looking at each other saying, we're not the students. We're not even like the pastors to the student church anymore. We're just like parents. We're like old people and like, that's who we are now. We're, we're the parents to our kids. But it's interesting. So we refer to ourselves as our parents, uh, as parents to our children, but we don't introduce ourselves or, or think of ourselves very often as our parents' children, right? Like as adults. Like when you get into adulthood, you kind of let that way of thinking go. You don't kind of think of yourself as much as, I am my parents' child. Think of yourself as kind of the beginning, right? And then everything flows out from you. Now, here's a question. I'm going to ask you to do a show of hands here. And I I really don't, you know, if you've been around here, you know I don't do this a lot. Um, But uh, I'm going to ask you to to do a show of hands here. And just try to be honest with me. So quick, put your hands in the air if you know the first and last names of your grandparents. If you know your grandparents' first and last names, show of hands. So a, a fair number, not everyone, but a good number. Okay. One more question. Show of hands if you know the first and last names of your great-grandparents. Well, then put your hand down. It's my mother trying to cheat. No, there's no half right. So like a couple of people. Now think about that. Your grandparents, your great-grandparents, you don't even know their names. Like, how is that for, like, facing our mortality, our significance in life? Three generations, they won't even know my name, let alone anything I did in my life. It's fascinating. We have this way of just kind of, like, the past is the past, and it just fades away, and it just disappears. And we need to relearn the value of living in relation to those who came before us. We need to understand the value of, of who we are today and, and what our, how our life has been shaped by the people that have got us to this place. In Deuteronomy 32, we read, Remember the days of old. Consider the generations long past. Ask your father, and he will tell you. Your elders, they will explain to you. There's this constant advice in Scripture to remember the past, to ask advice. Remember generations long past. We can't even remember our great-grandparents' names. Well, remember This is one of the most commonly used words of instructions, not only by Moses, but by the psalmists and by the prophets. Remember, remember, remember who God is. Remember what he has done. Remember the people who've come before you. Failing to remember someone's birthday, well, that's excusable. But failing to remember a valuable lesson that has been passed on to you, it could be fatal. So we need to be cautious. We need to remember. Now, we're good at this in some aspects of life. There are some things we we love from the past, Music, right? I mean, like every, every generation kind of loads the current music, right? And you're like, oh, geez, music was so much better, you know, in the past. Now, you might not go that far past, but, but we all kind of long for the time when music was really good, you know what I mean? And, and those of you who like today's music, well, you'll, you'll think that way 20 years from now. Don't worry, you'll get there. Art, again, I mean, there's great art that's being done today, but, but when we think about the world's best art, we think about art that's been around a long time. 
architecture. I mean, our city is being built up all around us with glass and concrete and not a whole heck of a lot of creativity. And so we look back at these incredible creative things that people have created down through the years. So there are elements of our life and our culture that we do value more because they're old. But you can appreciate both, I think, right? So as we go back to the music example, I mean, you can appreciate both the, the ultra-retro, you know, LPs are making a comeback, and the ultra-contemporary, you know, the beats. So you can maybe listen to a record on your wireless headphones or something like that. And I think that's the kind of balance that we want to strike as a church, as followers of Jesus, is appreciating a record and also appreciating kind of the new technology of wireless headphones. So what does that look like in our faith? Well, Robert Weber writes that our calling is not to reinvent the Christian faith, but in keeping with the past to carry forward what the church has affirmed from the beginning. And so we have to look back and say, okay, well, where are the roots of our faith? What, have been, what has been handed down to us? Now, of course, it doesn't mean that everything is carried forward. I mean, there was a time when just about every Christian followed the leadership of a pope, did not have access to a Bible, and participated in military crusades to kill people who didn't share their faith. That was like every Christian at one point in history. That was, that was kind of the way it worked. So it's a good thing that we've moved beyond that, right? And we can bring it up a little more contemporary, too. I think, like, so much of how we're organized as a church community is just incredibly different than church was, say, 50 years ago or, uh, for sure, 100 years ago. We don't own a building. Well, that's kind of bizarre. Like, 50 years ago, talk to someone, say, we're a church, and we don't own a building. Well, that's bizarre. We have uh, drums and musical instruments, and, and we have screens where we have things projected up onto them. We have women on our board. We invest in children's and youth programs and ministries in the church. I mean, 50 years ago, this wasn't being done. Churches weren't doing these things. And so there is this element of certainly appreciating the past, but also understanding that there is always going to be change. So we need to find this balance, right? We are both a 21st century church, so how do we engage in a 21st century culture, and a church that is in its 21st century with this long history. And we have to do the difficult work of discerning the difference between those things that are essential to our faith in Jesus and those things that are not. And how can we follow him in new ways? At its best, remembering where we've come from can bring new meaning and significance to our lives in the present. So Moses has this encounter with the burning bush. But then years later, the Israelites were preparing to enter the promised land. Moses gave them specific instructions as to what they were supposed to do when they got there. They were supposed to bring the first fruits of their harvest as an offering to the priest, and they were to say the following. And I'll read this uh, passage that they were supposed to say when they brought their offering to the priest. My father was a wandering Aramean, and he went down into Egypt with a few people and lived there and became a great nation, powerful and numerous. But the Egyptians mistreated us and made us suffer, putting us to hard labor, then we cried out to the Lord, the God of our fathers, and the Lord heard our voice and saw our misery, toil, and oppression. So the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, with great terror and with miraculous signs and wonders. He brought us to this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And now I bring the first fruits of the soil that you, O Lord, have given me. 
Then you're to place the basket before the Lord your God and bow down before him. And you and the Levites and the aliens among you shall rejoice in all the good things the Lord your God has given to you and to your household. It's this beautiful description of an act of worship that is connected with remembering. You're to come before God, offer the best of what you have now, the harvest that you have just picked, the crops that you have just harvested. You bring it and give it to God, and then you remember your past. Here's my story. My ancient ancestor was wandering around in the desert. And you tell the story of the ups and the downs and the twists and the turns along the way. And all of that storytelling and how all of that storytelling has brought you to this place where you are able to now offer something to God in thanks. Recalling what our forefathers have experienced and what God has revealed to them will go a long way in helping us in our own spiritual growth. As one author said, they know enough who know how to learn. And so we're going to set ourselves up this summer to learn from voices that many of you will be unfamiliar with. Many of us might have heard the name but not really known what they stand for or what their experiences have been. We begin to learn from just a small sample of the thousands of men and women whose investments in God's kingdom have helped shape who we are, whether we're aware of it or not, and whose stories invite us to continue their work in our own day and in our own way. I'm going to invite you to stand. We'll close with a prayer before we head off into our time for discussion.